Hello, I'm Kyle Corbwell, and this is On The Money, a weekly look how to get the best out of your savings and investments. In our first episode of 2024, I'm joined by Richard Hunter, Head of Markets at Interactive Investor, to talk through the factors most likely to influence investors in the year ahead. So for a number of years, Richard has come up with an acronym to group together his predictions, and 2024's is maturity. So we'll take each letter in turn, starting with M. So Richard, over to you. Yep, the uh, overall question is quite simple. Will any market recovery reach maturity? Or could there be any more factors which pushes the market higher? And as you say, Carl, the maturity is an acronym and the M starts for M&A. Clearly, this is uh, an element of uh, investment which has been very much in the doldrums over recent years. But there are some signs emerging towards the end of 2023 that people are starting to get around the table again, starting to think about that some valuations are depressed, not least of which, of course, They've been keeping their powder dry for a number of times. This could be private equity firms, even sovereign wealth funds. And clearly, were M&A activity to take off again, particularly in the earlier part of the year, that really could give us a strong base and a springboard to really then drive returns forward in 2024. I've heard amongst conversations I've had with uh, fund managers and uh, and also fund managers I've heard speak at investment conferences, there has been quite a lot of chatter about the potential pickup in M&A in 2024. I was at a conference in which James Henderson, who's the full manager of Lowland Investment Trust, he was making the point that, you know, obviously the UK market's very unloved. There's been lots and lots of outflows pretty much since the Brexit vote. And he mentioned, you know, if, if investors don't return and international investors don't return, then at some point there will be overseas buyers that step in and pick up and take advantage of the cheap valuations amongst UK PLC. And he mentioned that, you know, if there are an increase in M&A bids, then this will result in the UK market losing good companies at the wrong valuations. So watch this space. I think another potential thing to watch out for for fans of investment trusts is the investment trust discounts are at their widest levels since the global financial crisis. And in particular, Private equity investment trusts are trading on very wide discounts and there's been some speculation that you know there could be potential buyers for those investment trusts that take them off the market to take advantage of the fact that they can buy a collection of assets at a very cheap price. So again, I think that's another area to watch in 2024 in terms of investment trusts. So now we're going to move on to the next letter or letters, Richard. Yep, AI, perhaps not surprisingly. And there is something of a crossover potentially here between M&A and AI. Some years ago, many of the largest pharmaceutical companies decided that rather than continue to fund their massive research and development businesses, they would start picking off some biotech specialists. And it's not inconceivable that in terms of AI, particularly for those companies who want to come to market quickly, they look around for established AI businesses so that that obviously keeps the costs and development time down. So AI could cross over both of those issues. In broader terms, of course, 
we're still finding out its potential applications across most walks of life, to be honest, and that's likely to keep the investor frenzy alive. And the speed at which it's developing and the potential for large profit resulting for this, we could be seeing, of course, the beginning of a, a new tech revolution. On the other hand, there's going to be hurdles coming along, job losses, government interventions, regulations, restrictions, etc. But in any event, I think it's fair to say AI is going to remain a dominant theme for investors. I completely agree. I think, you know, it's a theme that has got plenty of legs and for Funds and investment trust investors that are looking to gain exposure for those investors that don't want to pick their own individual stocks. There are a couple of specialist options, but before I mention them, I think it's important to bear in mind that, you know, if you've got exposure to a global or US fund, whether that's actively managed or passively managed, the likelihood is that you'll have quite a lot of exposure to AI due to the fact that most funds have quite a lot of exposure to the big US technology giants. However, if you do want to invest, you know, in a more sort of pure play option in AI, then there's two actively managed funds. So there's Sanlam Global Artificial Intelligence and Polar Capital Automation and Artificial Intelligence. So both those funds, they they share the same three top holdings in common, which, you know, no surprise really, it's Microsoft, Alphabet, and NVIDIA, they're three of the companies that are considered the key ways to play the AI theme. And in terms of their performances, so these funds have been around for longer than sort of the AI theme has been hyped up over the past year or so. So they've both got five-year performance track records. The Sandland Fund has the upper hand. It's up 134% versus 84% for the Polar Capital Fund. And another fund to mention is there's an index fund, so this invests passively, and it's called the LNG Artificial Intelligence ETF. So this ETF, it doesn't have an equivalent five-year track record. However, if you look at its one-year performance, it is ahead of those two active funds that I've mentioned. So it has capitalized more on the AI theme over that period. So it's up 38% versus 28% for Sanlam and 20% for Polar Capital. But of course, Richard, in any given year, things are not plain sailing for stock markets, which sort of feeds into the next part of your acronym. Yes, T is for turbulence. And uh, you're right, perhaps if we can guarantee one thing in any given year, it's market turbulence. At first glance, this year promises to be no different. Geopolitical concerns such as between Russia and Ukraine, and of course, and in Israel, not to mention the ongoing and simmering tensions between the US and China, uh, particularly on the technology front. They leave all of those things meaning that turbulence remains in, in plain sight. In addition to that, we're going to get the inevitable things that, that uh, we get as, as companies come to the market with their latest reports. Earnings upgrades or downgrades will add to volatility, as will unexpected economic shocks or actions by central banks. Elections in the US in the UK will also be adding to the mix. And of course, you know, I think stock market volatility, it's very normal. And it's, you know, it's the price that investors pay for the fact that over the long term, equity investing beats other asset classes, particularly cash. And, it, you know, it goes back to the point that investors should always have a diversified portfolio. It shouldn't be invested one way or the other. You should have plenty of defenders in your portfolio. 
which at times of stock market turbulence, they can protect capital. And then when stock markets are going through a really strong patch, it is the more offensive investments in your portfolio that are then working harder for you. In terms of having defenders in the portfolio, I think investors have got a lot more choice now due to the fact that interest rates have been rising. The income returns or the yields on income-focused funds have been rising and are now at more attractive levels than usual. Even the sort of low-risk funds, the likes of money market funds, are you know now worth considering compared to in recent times, they hardly yielded anything at all. Whereas now there are a number of money market funds where you can get yields of over 5%. And in terms of on the investment risk spectrum, while there's always risk, Money market funds are at the very low end of that risk spectrum. These funds, they own a very diversified basket of very low risk bonds that are due to mature soon, normally less than one year. And as a result of that, you know, investors can earn income on their cash with minimal risk. And one fund that particularly in 2023 was very popular on the platform was the Royal London Short Term Money Market Fund, and it's yielding over 5% at the moment. We're now going to move on to an area of the stock market that has been unloved for many years now. Will there be a change of fortunes in 2024, Richard? You is for UK, and you're quite right, Carl. UK shares have been on the naughty step with international investors for some time now, perhaps initially prompted by the Brexit referendum, subsequently stubbed as the hunt for growth intensified. Lest we forget, it was last February that um, the FTSE 100 actually hit record highs, but those were totally erased as the year wore on. And this is despite the fact that the constituents of the FTSE 100 have a large exposure to overseas earnings. But that's cut little ice with uh, overseas investors, simply on the basis that many of the companies are ex-growth, even if they are stable, consistent and profitable. Uh, We've discussed before that on a valuations basis, the UK trades around half of the one given to the S&P 500 in the States and indeed most of the developed world. And many are agreed that the UK market is overdue a re-rating, but quite when that might happen remains totally unclear. Well, I think, Richard, you know, a lot of UK fund managers will also be hoping for investors to return to the UK market in 2024. In terms of potential catalysts, I've heard some fund managers say that the peaking of interest rate rises could be that catalyst that finally revives the fortunes of the UK market. However, time will tell. And one thing that may throw a spanner in the works of investors returning to the UK market is the threat of a recession, Richard. Off a recession, absolutely. The holy grail for investors in 2023 Uh, had been whether the Federal Reserve could engineer a soft landing in the States, whereby economic growth holds up despite the nullifying effect of of an aggressive interest rate hiking policy. And the current optimism that this will play out this year has been a pillar of recent market strength and will certainly be a factor in establishing sentiment as we move through the year. In the UK, I think the situation maybe is a bit more problematic. We've seen a recent dip in consumer discretionary spending as a result of the cost of living pressures being a particularly concerning trend. And although they may be peaking or have peaked, inflation and indeed interest rates remain elevated, which set against the UK's anemic economic growth could yet tip the UK into recessionary territory. And of course, inflation is part of your acronym as well. Is there any further thoughts that you have to add on where you think the general direction for inflation is? I mean, when I speak to fund managers, I mean, 
I've not heard any fund manager predict that inflation will get back to its 2% central bank target anytime soon. I've heard many say that they think it'll settle around 3% to 4% by the end of 2024. Some other fund managers actually think that there may be periods of spike inflation in which prices respond to various events, particularly on the geopolitics front. No, you're absolutely right. And um, there's always a debate in the States because they've got a couple of different inflation measures. One of their inflation measures excludes the likes of oil and indeed food prices. So some cynics in the state call that the cold and hungry index because while it's measuring some price movement, it's not actually giving the full picture of what households uh, actually up against. And I think you're right, inflation of itself isn't going to go away anytime soon. I think it's likely to remain very much a theme this year on the basis that central banks obviously have been working hard and they've won some battles, but not necessarily the war just yet. And there's also an increasing concern, as you've just alluded to, whether this final yard between 3% and 2%, for example, which is, seems to be the target for most central banks, could actually prove the most difficult to break down. So yes, we've got the Fed's current mantra in the States, for example, of higher for longer in terms of interest rates and where they're likely to go. And it's an example of the central bank's determination to reduce the headline figure once and for all. We've discussed um, AI, that it's a theme that's not going away. However, what's your thoughts, Richard, on the prospects for technology's Magnificent Seven in 2024, given the fact that, you know, in 2023, a lot of those companies have very strong share price run-ups. Just by way of background, there are some striking figures which a couple of American investment banks have come out with. Just by way of very quick reminder, the so-called Magnificent Seven stocks in the States, Apple, Amazon, Alphabet, NVIDIA, Meta, Microsoft and Tesla definitely had a positive but disproportionate impact on market performances last year. It was or is estimated that they represent 29% collectively of the S&P 500 by market capitalization, obviously a dominant position. But in addition, Goldman Sachs ran some numbers showing that these handful of stocks had gained 71% last year, while the remaining other 493 companies had had added just 6% which is a, an astonishing revelation. So inevitably, yes, the question is, can it continue? Now, we've spoken already about AI, which certainly lit a fire under technology stocks last year, uh, and the Magnificent Seven in particular. But of course, AI is not the only game in town. Innovation is happening apace in so many other areas, ranging from augmented reality to 6G, which should revolutionize network communications and plenty in between. You've got personalised healthcare and treatment based on DNA data, which is no longer a distant dream. And you've got developments in the likes of nanotechnology, which are finding new applications across any number of industries. So I think it's fair to say that innovation will continue to advance apace. And of course, many of the larger tech firms do seem well-placed to benefit and are exposed to some of those additional themes. So I, I think I'll probably repeat, which I've been saying for the last year or two, Namely, that it may also be fair to say that investors ignore the tech giants at their peril, since there is plenty of scope for further growth. And the final part of your acronym is Y, which no surprise is uh, yields, Richard. Yeah, bond yields, obviously, very much an important pointer to borrowing rates and have been elevated for most of last year. 
in the face of heightened interest rate expectations. Hopefully that situation has now stabilised and we did see something of a dip in yields towards the end of 2023. But of course, the other thing is that given the inverse relationship between bond prices and yields, there are actually both the possibility of capital gains as well as an attractive level of interest. And of course, that's quite apart from the stock factor and that dividend yields will also continue to be a theme for income-seeking investors in particular. For example, the FTSE 100 usually yields on average somewhere around 4%. And of course, while dividends can never be guaranteed, prospects are higher that such yields can be maintained given the strength of the underlying constituents in our Premier Index. I completely agree, Richard. I think there will continue to be a hunt for yield in 2024, as was the case in 2023. I mean, if you look at the most bought investment trusts on our platform in 2023, the vast majority of of them have a decent dividend yield. Just to give a couple of examples, the City of London Investment Trust, which invests in dependable FTSE 100 dividend payers. It's managed by Job Curtis, who is considered a safe pair of hands. Another trust that's very popular is Greencoat UK Wind, which, as the name suggests, it invests in UK wind assets. That investment trust, it has a target to grow its dividend in line with RPI inflation, which is a target that's achieved every single year since the trust launched over a decade ago now. And others that are popular are JP Morgan Global Growth and Income, as name suggests, that as a global mandate, but you know, as a decent dividend yield as well for investors. And there's also a Merchants Trust. Again, this invests in the UK. It likes to invest in um, UK companies that have a decent dividend yield, and its dividend yield at the moment is around 5%. My thanks to Richard, and thank you for listening to this episode of On The Money. If you enjoyed it, please follow the show in your podcast app and tell a friend about it. And if you get a chance, leave us a review or a rating in your podcast app too. You can join the conversation, ask questions, and tell us what you'd like to talk about via email on otm at ii.co.uk. In the meantime, you can find more information and practical pointers on how to get the most out of your investments on the Interactive Investor website at ii.co.uk, and I'll see you next week.